This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 391 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast, presented by Overdrive. Sorry, was that loud? That was a little loud. That's okay. Apologies. It's easier to edit at the very beginning than it is in the middle. That's okay. Awkward. Hi, Hi Jill. Hello. How you doing? Well, it's Thursday. It's, Well, yes. it's actually Wednesday How for us. dare you? <laughs> but it yeah. is Thursday when this is going live. Yes, it's Thursday <laughs> when this is going live. We're recording on a Wednesday. I just sat in a two-hour meeting about our health benefits. My brain is melted. Um... So today, we got a very lovely email from a relatively new listener who was like, I'm going back and trying to listen to like a ton of your episodes. And I was like, well, don't do that. There's so many of them. Um, But she does use the website to find specific episodes, which is good because that's where you can find all of them. But she asked, she said, hey, do you have any tips for books for aspiring writers? And it's November. Yeah, it is. Which is NaNoWriMo, National Novel Writing Month. And we're both doing it. Which is the first time I've ever done it. I have half-heartedly attempted it in the past. <laughs> this year, I'm actually legitimately doing it. I have a plan. I have my bujo. I got a spreadsheet. <laughs> That's a real, a real surprise that you have a spreadsheet. That's awesome. Um, and I actually stole some of the things that you do anyway. So, Like what? What'd you steal? The sprints. Oh, yeah. We'll mm-hmm. get into it. Um, so this is going to be a little bit more like, I feel like this is going to be a little bit more freeform than normal. <laughs> yes. So I figure we can offer our tips, aka your tips as the published author. I'm just like a, I'm just like anyone else doing nano. Um, but we each picked some books that are like about, like on writing, like those specific ones. I picked like two, but yeah, yes. I mean, I picked like three of those. But then we, uh, I picked a bunch of other books that are like, depending on what thing you're stuck on. I have some suggestions for. I sort of did something similar. We have no. We'll see where this goes. No idea where this is going to go. Very excited to find out. We're pla- we're pantsing along. We're pantsing along. Exactly. Um, that's kind of we're like kind of plantsing. Um, so first things first. Like I said, I'm. This is the first time I've ever done it. So, do you want to tell people how you're doing your nano so far? I mean, we were recording this in the sixth of the month, so both of us could crash and burn. Let's be serious. I'm planning on that part, but, but <laughs> trying to build in buffer for it. <laughs> <laughs> okay do you okay first i love that so much how are you going about this because you are you have a much more analytical brain at this than i do oh okay so um how am i going about it you mean okay i, I think that's what you mean yeah um okay so it's fifty thousand words <laughs> okay yes thank over the you. course of the month that's an, no no i'm just trying to break this down for you so it's 167 1667 <laughs> words per day yes um, and so I have broken it down into, um, I have a weekly, I have a goal. Here, I'll show you on my bujo. No one's going to see this. We can uh-huh. put a picture up. Um, it's gonna, it's let me gonna, find it. No, 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 I have a picture I can send you. Oh, okay. So um, this is my nano page. So oh, I have. pretty. <laughs> so I have goals. Like I have the weekly goal where I should be at the end of every week. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I have I keep track of my daily word count, and then there's a chart I color in for every 100 words, up to 50,000. This is so soothing. And then I have a spreadsheet that I keep. Um, so I'm I'm actually sorry for all the noise. I'm moving things around. That's okay. I wasn't apologizing to you. I'm <laughs> the one who's gonna edit it, so I will accept the apology on behalf of the listeners. Um. I'm working on something that I had previously started working on before, which is allowed under current nano rules. They changed it a couple years ago. Um, So I had 23,000 words already written. And so I'm using nano to get to 73,000. And so I can't, so my like, I have a spreadsheet to keep track of word counts because I can't, it's a little tricky just Mm -hmm. because I already had like 23,000 words already. Um, So I update that daily. Um, and then I also update the Nano website. Does that answer your question? I don't know if that answers your that question. That answers my question, yes. Well, sort of. Um, That's was, how I broke it down. Yeah. So I'm doing the same. I'm using a work in progress, which is like the the book that I'm working on. I'm really just, I'm really using Nano as like a reason to force myself to write every day. That works too. Because I get lazy. And sure. I'll, I will have time, especially when I'm traveling, I'll write like 3,000 words on the plane and be like, I'm a superhero. And then write... 800 words for the next 10 days total. And I'm like, I am a trash baby. Um, thanks, Mallory, stealing that. Uh, so I'm using it just to write every single day. But the thing that I took from you is the, the thing you do in the mornings. Yeah. Do you want to describe that? Because You mean might, the sprints, right? Yeah, okay. people might not know what, what it is sure. and how you do so, it. Sure, um, so I'm a very big believer and advocate of writing in sprints. So sprint writing is when you set a timer. I set mine for 15 minutes and you just write. And then um, when the timer's up, you're done or you can continue, whatever. Um, That is the only way I write. Even if I have an entire day ahead of me, I write in sprints. Mm -hmm. Because if I don't, if I just sit down in front of a blank piece of paper, let me put it this way. So in the mornings... These days, I've been writing for 30 minutes every morning before work. So that's two 15-minute sprints back-to-back. In that time, I can get like 900 to 1,000 words. It's amazing. And then I finish in the evening. I come home and I do like a one 15-minute. And then I'm just to make up whatever it takes to get to the other thing, like the remaining, to get to the goal. And then if I keep going and write over, that's fine too. So um. On average, it takes me about 45 minutes to 60 minutes to get my words in mm-hmm. every day. That's it. An That's hour. Amazing. But <laughs> if I were to sit in front of my computer and say, you need to write 1,600, 1600 words. words in an hour, mm-hmm. I will get nothing done. There'll be no words. There'll be maybe 100 and they will be terrible and I hate them. It'll be like pulling teeth. But I write in sprints because I'm not writing against – when I'm writing sprints, I'm not worried about word count. I'm worried about the clock. And I'm like, this is my 15 minutes. Even if I'm doing back to back, my mind's like, this is my 15 minutes. And I just go in and it's like very stream of consciousness. I have no idea what the hell is going to come out. Mm -hmm. But it's okay because some really great things come out that would not have come out. Mm -hmm. And I don't have a really a detailed outline. I have a very big general plot idea. Yeah. And so this is sort of filling in the details, like getting from point A to point B to point C. And man, there's some crazy stuff that comes out that just totally works. And I just go with it and I just keep writing and it's great. Okay, so I, I almost want, I just kind of want to like turn this into an interview, like for my own, like to pick my it's brain. It's cool. We can just. I know. So we'll, we'll just whack. Well, I do want to get to some books for people because they, <laughs> we, that was the specific request. <clears throat> so for you, because I. We can do like books first and then come back. That's okay. We'll get there. I'll, we'll figure this out. It's okay. This is more of a free form. Um, 
I stole this from you, so I get to our office at like 6.15 in the morning, and I usually take that time before anyone else gets to the office to be productive from a work standpoint, but my day doesn't technically start till 7, so I've been using like a half hour of that time to write and doing sprints like you have. The thing that I panic over is because I'm sitting at my desk, and it's the desk that I do actual work at, when 7 o'clock rolls around, I'm like, you have to stop, you have to do your actual job now. Like when you're at your house, are you like if you have a stream of conscious going, but you have to like come to work? Like, do you will you stop like mid sentence, mid like thought, or do you? No, I'll clear? usually complete the thought. Okay. Um, and then I will sometimes leave a note for myself in brackets to come back to next time. Okay. I did that this morning. Are you using like Google Docs? I or? use Google Docs. Okay. Yeah, that's what. So I'm I could using leave a comment for myself or a bracket. I just like if I'm because when that timer goes off, it's just like my brain automatically. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, we're done for right now. Yeah. I mean, I will usually complete the thought, but sometimes I will leave it. Because I will inevitably, if I don't like leave a note, I will probably forget. Yeah. <laughs> Same. Yeah. Well, because I do the, I definitely do the like stop in the middle of a sentence. No, so I will complete it, the sentence. Yeah. I've, I've, I've stopped. And actually, if I were to pull up my doc right now, there's a open-ended sentence just so I can remember what I was talking about. That's um, fair too. So you said that you were, because it was a work in progress, you had like a, how like do you have specific plot points or are you just like i need to eventually get to plot b like like yeah i have very specific plot points very specific ones well it's a romance it's Mm rom-com so god i'm I'm already excited to read your future (laughs) rom-com it's a rom-com it's great um and since it's a romance there are like some i don't want to say formulaic that's not the right word but there are expected beats to hit beats to hit um, and so those I've already figured out. Like, I know what the specific beats are. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the ending is pretty much a given. Um, but I don't know how I'm going to get. I mean, I have, like, a very vague idea yeah. of how I'm going to get from each point. But mm-hmm. that's about it. I kind of want to turn our podcast into, like, a writing podcast instead of a reading podcast for a change. Um, okay. Let's see. That's, I think that's really helpful for people because... The sprints thing, especially if you are doing nano or really just any type of rigging, it doesn't have to be nano. Um, forcing yourself, that, I think that's the hardest part is like sitting down and forcing yourself to write. But if you know, that timer is going to go off in 15 minutes and I have to stop. Yeah, and... so I have to use this time, mm-hmm. just like maximize the time. Yeah. And the thing is, the other thing is to just keep going. Just keep going. Mm-hmm. Just keep going. Really? Because. <laughs> You're finding Dory situation here. Well, it's more, uh, yes, but. Um, I have a tendency to want to keep going back and perfecting what I have rather than mm. continuing to go. That mm-hmm. doesn't really serve anybody because then I'll just have like a really great 20,000 words. Yeah. <laughs> and it was funny. I was thinking about the interview we did with JoJo because she talked about that. And um, you mentioned... Linda Holmes. Linda Holmes, like around that 20,000 mark. Yeah. And I remember sitting here, we were sitting there in, like, and in the middle of that interview with JoJo and I was like oh, that's what's happening with me. It's not me necessarily. Yeah. I'm just at that stage where this is what is happening and things feel like they're falling off the rails and I have no idea what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And this just is terrible. <laughs> so it was good timing because I was like, all right, we'll just use Nano to force myself to keep, to like write through all of that and to keep yeah. going. And so. No, I know what you mean though because I was very much the same way on my work in progress. I was stuck at like 25 to 28,000 words for a really long time and I was going back and one of the like horrors that I was seeing is I was like, oh my God, my tense, it's either past tense, present oh, yeah. tense, future mm-hmm. I was doing it so much that I was getting crippled and I'm like, 
I started thinking about months from now when this whole thing is done and I'm like, I'm going to have to go back and change all those things. And then talking to Jojo and Linda Holmes and all these authors, they're like, no, that's a thing. Stop freaking out about it. I Same thing. I've been, I've broken through. I think it's like 42,000 at this point. And like, I know where the whole rest of it's going to go, which is great. And I just have stopped worrying and been like, all right, I'll cross that bridge. Right. <laughs> Once yeah. I hit the end, I'll cross that bridge. Everything can be edited later. Mm-hmm. That's like a whole other conversation. Yeah. So like, don't worry about that right now. Yeah, there's the, there should be like a through. nano for editing. Well, I December. mean, they tell you like after you finish it, give it a few months and then go back and read it and edit it. Like don't take your nano manuscript and start pitching it to write it like author. Oh, God, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't start pitching your <laughs> nano manuscript. Oh, man. Yeah, don't do that at all. Um, okay. I'm sure this will go in it. So let's do the few books that are like specifically about writing first and then we can just kind of go back and forth about like different things so um one of the ones that i thought of after i sent you the few that i had was called writing radar by jack gantos and it was actually someone i interviewed like a couple years ago and it's basically it's teaching young kids how to write but it's also really good for um any writer of any age and it's all it's honestly all about like the whole crux of it is keeping something that you can write on with you at all times and being aware of your surroundings and being uh seeing everything around you and just like taking little notes of like stuff that you might not think about whether it's like you're sitting at a restaurant and you see a conversation going on behind the bar and like you're just like i wonder what they're talking about and just like remind yourself like there are people talking behind the bar and like doing little sketches of places that you're at basically just like always being aware of what's around you because it can unearth story ideas um and the cool thing about it is it's, it's written it's like written in a juvenile form so you get through it really really quickly but there's oh. all these really cool little nuggets of how you can sort of craft great stories from things that are around you whether you're writing fiction or nonfiction. so that's writing radar by jack gantos and we can just go back and forth on these and what they're for Okay, so my two that I picked for this particular thing are somewhat fairly well-known. One will not be a surprise, but we won't talk about that one first. Um, yeah. <laughs> first one actually is somewhat related to what we were just talking about with Nano, and it's Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott. So this is sort of the Bible of writing guides, um, and it's been around since the 90s and has, like, never stopped selling. It is huge. Um, but the title comes from um, a story she talks about, which is, 30 years ago, my older brother, who was 10 years old at the time, was trying to get a report on birds written that he'd had three months to write. It was due the next day. We were out at our family cabin in Bolinas, and he was at the kitchen table close to tears, surrounded by binder paper and pencils and unopened books on birds immobilized by the hugeness of the task ahead. Then my father sat down beside him, put his arm around my brother's shoulder and said, bird by bird, buddy, just take it bird by bird. So I think that's like that kind of is sums up mm-hmm. writing in general, not just nano, but just take it bird by bird, people. Yeah, I, I think that's something like there's, there's no skimming when you're writing. Like you can't skim through a story you're creating. You have to just sit down, and like you said, like do it like page by page, bird by bird, like sentence by sentence. And I think that's what makes it so challenging. Is it's like right, but I think it's also like when you're like, oh, fifty thousand words in a month. That sounds ridiculous. That's right. why I break it down into smaller chunks and it mm-hmm. seems a little bit more reasonable because it doesn't seem quite as scary. Yeah. You can do the other one too real quick. I know what it is. So oh, go it's for Stephen it. King's on writing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Shocking. Yeah. So this is part memoir and part writer guide where um, Stephen King talks about 
how he got into writing, his history with it, but he also offers tips along the way um, for aspiring writers. My favorite is his chapter about the muse and how he talks about how the muse is not some like fairy who comes along and sprinkles dust over you and it's just like all magical and great. Um, the muse is a guy who like chain smokes and lives in your basement and <laughs> he makes you really do the work. Um, you know, he doesn't like the muse doesn't just like offer it to you on a silver platter like you actually have to sit down and do the work but if you let the muse know where you are like you know he talks about like me like setting aside like I do it in the morning if you do it consistently the muse will you know will show up and help you along but um and he also uh, he has a in the very back um he has a big collection of like 90 books I think that he recommends to aspiring writers whether it's sort of like we're doing you know like whether it's um, the way they tell a story, their language, just it's a big Stephen King writing list or reading list. Um, so that's on writing. He talks, yeah, I love he talks about how he was <laughs> writing Cujo and he was like, doesn't he even remember it? Cause yeah, he, he sure doesn't remember it. Or how, how he, <laughs> how he threw out the manuscript for Carrie, which was his debut and his wife saved it from the trash can. <laughs> Uh, could you imagine? No, I can't. <laughs> That's ridiculous. I when I finish this work in progress uh, that I'm doing, and it's like at a point where I think it's ready to show to people, I'm gonna print off a version of it just to keep it forever. Because I'm gonna even if it's like trash, I'm gonna be like, I wrote this whole damn thing. I'm proud of it. I would, I would never. Yeah. That's also, I guess, the difference between Stephen King and me is he knows he could write another novel and be telling. God, that book is so good. Um, my other one of these is how to write a novel using the snowflake method, which made me laugh, uh, by Randy Ingman. I want to say Ingermanson. It's a lot of last name. Um, but it is this very popular writing method called the snowflake method. And it's a series of 10 steps that kind of helps you jumpstart your creativity and it helps you map out your story, which is really good for planners. Um, people kind of all around use this as a good way to get down their first draft on paper. So it helps you figure out things like, who your target audience is, not like the demographics of people who are going to read it, but like who is the type of person that would want to read your book and then figuring out what the story is that will keep them captivated. So like when to unveil certain scenes and will scenes work or not if you're before you even start writing it. And like we were talking about backtracking and how not to worry about it during mm-hmm. nano, but like when it's okay to backtrack and like why it actually will help you in some places. Um, you know, figuring out how to like get under the skin of each of your characters so that you understand them. This is something else that Jojo kind of mm-hmm. talked about with her kick the dog test where it's like, and um, Michael Connolly told me where he's like, he thinks of one specific word that defines oh, his like character. It. Yeah, I use w- music. Yeah, so, ooh, that's really good too. I have, a, I have a theme song for every character. That's awesome. So like just a way, and for Michael and Jojo, it's very different because, you know, Jojo's like, what would per- someone do if they saw someone kick the dog? It's the same, it's the same action and their that person's reaction to that one act to that one action whereas michael connelly it's he's trying to think of an entirely different word for every single person or like i think i honestly i wouldn't tell michael connelly or jojo Moyes, but i like yours actually the best of the three is i have five playlists for this book adam i <laughs> that's amazing it makes me so there happy are five playlists for different scenes do you listen to those playlists when you're writing i listen to certain songs when i'm writing depending well i guess words are instrumental Depends on what I'm writing. That's amazing. There I are five playlists for different. Some of it I just listen to when I'm like driving to like 
keep my brain working. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so those five playlists, they serve different purposes. There are different songs um, that I listen to depending on what I'm writing or what character I'm writing. Because, mm-hmm. like, when I listen to the playlist, there's, like, one big one and then four sort of smaller ones for various parts of the book. And when I'm listening to ones, I'll be like, oh, this is perfect for this scene. And I will just put that on repeat. Mm-hmm for like an hour while I'm writing and then if even if it has words they just sort of like turn into background noise yeah um no that makes sense I made a so mine my book is set in like early 2000s in a high school and Mm -hmm. so it's I have like a 70 song pop punk playlist Mm -hmm. and it's basically the whole thing and it's I'll listen to it before or like if I know I'm gonna be writing at night during the day I'll listen to it when we're at work because I struggle with like hearing words and then trying to write them but it really does it helps you set the mood and like figure out and not only does it help you set the mood of like where the book is, but it also helps you it's gonna get inside your characters a little bit more. I like that a lot. Also, I should clarify, when I said not to backtrack, I mean like going back and editing little words. If there's like glaring plot holes I'm worried about writing and I was like, This makes no sense compared to something I said two chapters ago, I yeah. will go and, and sort of try and fill that a little bit. Mm-hmm. I just mean I will get fixated on making sure I have like the perfect sentence. Yeah. And I'll spend two hours doing that. And then not writing anything. (laughs) So I don't do that Um, during nano. (laughs) Do you have like, you you mentioned the songs. Do you have like character, like profile, like bios before you go in? With a separate Bujo notebook with pictures I stole off the internet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Okay. So those are like, that's amazing. I can tell you what they look like and everything. I believe you. Um, All right. So those are the like on writing kind of books. And I just have, like, a bunch of, like, random other ones. So do you want to just kind of, like, we can just go through whichever ones you have and just be like, hey, here's why I picked these books. And we can just go back. Sure. Okay, I'm starting. Um, no, yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Awkward. Pause. I did mine by sort of, like, genre, kind yeah. of. Okay. Okay. Because um, I feel like for genre stuff, it's sometimes tricky. Um, if you're new to the genre, not sure where to start. So I actually start with mystery. If you want to write mystery books, here are some good ones that I feel like you can learn from. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first is the big one, The Merger of Roger Ackroyd by Agatha Christie. Yes. So I think what is actually really interesting about this one, and I it's hard to talk about this book for those who have not read it because I don't want to spoil anything. Yep. Mm-hmm. I'm so excited <laughs> so to see how you do it. it's really, really difficult. Um, so when Agatha Christie, obviously, she wrote a long time ago. And at that time... Mystery novels, um, again, not really formulaic, but there were certain expectations the readers had um, about where they would go and what would happen. And with the murder of Roger Ackroyd, she completely turned that upside down. Um, I think people were a little mad at first. They were. (laughs) They were so mad. But um, the interesting thing is I was talking about this with a friend of mine. We're we're both big Agatha Christie fans, and just recently we were talking about it, how the thing about... um, Agatha Christie is that she has all the clues there. They are all in the book. Yeah, everything is there for you. Yeah, and I and I mentioned Roger Ackroyd, and she's like, no. Even if you go back and read it, everything is there. Yeah. Um, you just have to know to look for it, which you didn't know in Roger Ackroyd. Yeah, there's no if you if you figure that one out before. I don't know how you're you a sorcerer. Correct. So if you're just trying to look for sort of, and again, I can't tell you what actual thing she uses because I don't want to ruin it, but there's a trope of some kind yeah. is probably the best way to describe it that um, 
was not really implemented before. And then when this came out, people mm-hmm. were mad because she sort of was like, nope, just kidding. We're not going to do that. Um, <laughs> God, it's so good. You should just read that. Like, just read Agatha Christie novels for mystery. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. I love that we, we did this completely different. So you did, like, genres, and I did if you're stuck on a certain thing. That works, too. This is fun. Um, okay, so I did one. So the first one is if you are thinking about the timeline of your novel and you want to see, like, a pacing standpoint, mm-hmm. how other authors do it, um, find books that are similar to the timeline that you are telling, and then... Um, sort of just see and play in the space of how they did it. So like, for example, uh, if your novel takes place over one day, um, think about like the seven and a half deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle, which is also a mystery and also based off of an Agatha Christie like story. But it, it takes place in one day, but it's done in a way that's so creative that it makes that one day not repetitive, even though the actions are repeated. Or um, Mrs. Dalloway is like that. Mrs. Virginia Woolf. Yes. Yeah, it's... I don't know how I just pronounced her last name. Wolf. Virginia Wolf. <laughs> you can go back and listen to yeah. that. It's going to be awful. <laughs> um, it's okay. Uh, but even just like uh, This Is Where It Ends by Marie Kniekamp, it takes place over like 42 minutes or Jason Reynolds' Long Way Down, which takes place literally in the time it takes a kid to go down an elevator. Um, just trying to find pacing that matches yours and seeing how do, like if, if you have um, a really long like sweeping like decades long type of a story um, Pachinko by Min Jin Lee or like A Secret History of Witches by Louisa Morgan like these are <clears throat> they span they span like multiple generations and so getting a look at how sort of like masters of their craft take a specific timeline and are able to make it work for a full-length novel can kind of give you an idea. Because if you were to say, like, I'm going to write a novel that only takes place in an elevator, you're like, how the hell am I going to do that? But if you see mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. intricate ways that other people are able to do it, um, yeah, it's really – it's just a – it helps you better frame what you're trying to do. I feel like your list is way more interesting than mine, and we should just do yours, and I can offer comments. <laughs> we can do that if you want. Mine's kind of boring compared to that. That's uh, okay. All right. Um, so my next one is – That's why we should discuss things. We did. We sort of did. We sort of did, and I still think – Jill stood up at her desk because she sits right in front of me, and she's like, hey, were you thinking about this? And I was like, yeah, kind of. And then we, we were both two like, very different directions. Good idea. <laughs> took two, yeah, exactly. Um, they're both good directions, though. So – I thought of like if you're trying to write about multiple timelines, which I could not possibly imagine doing. Um, the book that I thought of is called The String Diaries by Stephen Lloyd Jones. And I read this a long, long time ago. And it was one, it was like one of the first books that I think did this really, really well that I remembered. Because I always get frustrated when I'm reading a book that has multiple timelines. And I'm like, it has to be done right or else I get like... I'm you mean where it sort of goes back and forth? Like yeah, that? where there's like multiple stories being told and they're all from different timelines. Got it. So The String Diaries is this family, but it opens with this uh, Hannah who's driving through the night with her daughter asleep in the back and her husband is bleeding out. And then there's in their car, there is a diary that dates back 200 years and it's been retied with strings over generation and generation. And the diary kind of carries rules for survival of this family that's been handed down over 200 years. And so it sets the stage of like, okay, here's the modern day, what's going on. And it's panic and it's nerve wracking. And we're going to go through 200 years. But here's the different places that this diary has been strung together. So you know that those are the places that we're going to be frequenting. And so it does a really good job of like setting the stage and then going back. So you're 
I get really frustrated when a novel actively tries to confuse you for like the first five chapters. Um, I yeah. hate that. It's like it, I want to just like get into a story and enjoy it. Whereas this one, it does that. It's like, hey, stay with me. We're gonna do multiple. We're gonna do multiple timelines, but this is a good way to show how to set it up so that it makes sense for the reader. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. I see. Okay. Yeah, I'm just I'm not a big fan of when like I said when a book actively tries to like do like a gotcha like I'm gonna confuse you for 200 pages I'm like well I'm gonna drop you after 100 pages. Uh, I think a book not quite the same but one that hand I guess it's also both like the sweeping saga but also kind of handles two timelines or multiple timelines is the Homegoing by Yagasi where she follows two sisters um, who start in Africa and their stories like one stays in Africa and one um, goes to America. And you just sort of like see the down their descendants, these two separate lines of um, how their lives turned out. And it was really well written. And just the way she sort of like had this huge family tree, but not at all confusing. It mm-hmm. all made perfect sense. <laughs> what you're doing is more impressive than what I'm doing because you're coming up with books on the fly, by the way. So I'm just saying. Whatever. Um, I was also thinking about like one of my biggest issues is – like I said, getting myself to sit down and write, and a lot of times it's because I think I can't think of anything creatively to write. So if you are struggling to find a spark of creativity, like if you know what you want to write about, but you can't just seem to like find the words, I like to look at books that take words and use them in a unique way. So things like uh, Kwame Alexander's books where it's written in verse or even like poetry or even like children's books. Like it can just be getting a flow in your brain of like okay i'm gonna read the butter battle book by dr seuss real quick because it like has this flow to it and it's the best dr seuss book and it's the best dr seuss book um so yeah like i love plus children's books you can read a few chapters and get through them really quickly and it's set again it like just sort of sparks it shows you a creative way to use words and sometimes that can be all like the jumping off point that you need so like if you're stuck creatively like you know where you want to go but you can't seem to figure out words like is there a type of a book you would read so i actually had this under language as my <laughs> genre Perfect. whatever that means um topic and it's actually the short the short stories of ernest hemingway mostly because of his economy of language that's a great way of saying he writes short sentences i don't even think he does write short sentences actually i think if you're looking for using language and telling a story and short stories in general are the way to go. I think people think short stories are easier to write than novels, and they're not. Mm-mm. Because what you can do in 80,000 words in a novel, you have 8,000 words in a short story, and you have to tell the exact same story, or like tell the same kind of plot and arc. Um, but Ernest Hemingway writes very short stories. <laughs> He's almost more like flash fiction for some of them. Uh-huh. <laughs> but it took me a long time to appreciate what he does. I talk, I'm talk. sure I've talked about this, but the first time I read Hills Like White Elephants, I didn't get it. I was like, I don't understand. the. I mean, I understood what was happening. I didn't understand why everyone thought it was such a big deal, why this story was. And that's because I'm someone who is very verbose, and I use a lot of words, and I don't have economy of language, especially when it comes to my writing. And so <laughs> I didn't quite understand the technique and like what he had accomplished in so few words um and then by the time i did i was like oh okay Mm -hmm. i get it i understand why people think this is a big deal because it's just like every word serves multiple purposes Mm -hmm. and i think you can get that from any short story but i think 
Ernest Hemingway in particular is because he writes these short sentences, but everything has a purpose and is very thoughtful and deliberate. It's so funny that you say hills like wet elephants. I literally have a, a whole scene in my book where there's people arguing about hills like wet elephants and what it represents. Like I have like a whole like <laughs> naturally. S- yeah. Well, it's part of my there's a uh, AP English class in my uh, book. Makes so I kind of have to it's see. like you have to read Hills Like White Elephants. If you've never read Hills Like White Elephants and you don't know what we're talking about, just look it up and read it. I don't want to talk about it. It's such a lot. That would be like a 17 more podcast episodes of us breaking down what Hills Like White Elephants is actually about. Um, okay, the other one that I have here is if you're struggling with uh, character development. And so if you're struggling with character development, I have two. One is Uprooted by Naomi Novik. And that goes through, it's basically the story of this girl who lives in this village. And um, every so often, this wizard that they call the dragon takes one of the girls away to go live with him. And you don't know anything that happens there, but it is um, assumed that nefarious things happen. And so she sets a precedent in your mind right away of how terrible this wizard is and um then you meet him because our main character Agnieszka gets taken when she's not expecting to and so the whole time it's always expected that the dragon is going to take the best most pop like most beautiful most talented woman in the um, in the group who is you know I believe it's eight when they turn 18 and so right away you learn that Agnieszka doesn't think very much of herself and she's like I'm definitely not going to be the one who's chosen she gets chosen, and then they form this relationship where it's almost like, um, I don't want to say a friendship, but it's almost like a mentor-mentee kind of a thing. Where, like You slowly get to peel back like why the dragon is the way he is, and you learn so much about him. And then the same thing with Agnesco. You learn that she is so much more than you expected, which is a little bit of a trope. But the way that um, Naomi Novik like, slowly gives you more and more of the character after setting a baseline of what you would expect is just a really um, a really impressive way to handle a book that essentially is about two characters that can could be trying to only write about the two characters at the same time um, for the whole story. And then the other one that I have is Anna Karenina by Leo Tolstoy. Mm-hmm. And that's just because there's a ton of characters in that. And yeah, like every are. single one of them is somehow not one-dimensional. <laughs> like they all seem to be quite rounded and they... It's told from um, a multiple perspectives, and it somehow you are able to learn a lot about each person. So, if you're not into Russian literature, maybe not that one, but I am. So, also if you don't want to be depressed, um, so maybe not Anna Karenina, but um, it is a really good kind of masterclass on how to write a lot of characters without just making them each one beat. So. Uh, I can I can make this last one work with this. Excellent. Okay. So I think if you are struggling with exactly how to sort of frame and tell your story, I would actually recommend reading a lot of nonfiction, but specifically the nonfiction that reads like fiction. Mm. So stuff like Double in the White City by Eric Larson, anything by John Krakauer, and then I really enjoyed Road to Jonestown by Jeff Gwynn. These are all nonfiction books. They are telling true stories. But the authors employ a lot of fiction-telling techniques in terms of pacing and character development. And, you know, like, 
peeling back the layers. Like there's a lot of things in Devil in the White City. It reads like a thriller novel mm-hmm. because there are two like sort of timelines. You have H.H. H. Holmes. You have the World's Fair. Like this stuff is going on at the same time. And you're like, what is happening? <laughs> so I just I feel like there's a lot to learn from nonfiction writers who employ a lot of creative writing fiction um, techniques in the way they, they tell these stories. Like it's not necessarily linear. Um, and just sort of reading those and kind of breaking down and understanding what techniques they're using that you could maybe employ and, and how to do that. I would add The First Conspiracy by Brad Meltzer is the same thing. It's a, the true story of how George Washington was almost assassinated. Right. But it's told as a thriller. So It's incredible. Yeah, good stuff. Um, I like this. I liked what we just did here. I will say if you want more help on um, nanotype things uh, our friends at 88 Cups of Tea which is a writer's kind of community podcast does, Yin Chang does a really good job of bringing everyone together along those lines do you what are your thoughts on like writing communities because I'm very much like a solo writer I'm like out in the wild by myself trying to figure things what do you out mean by writing like do you have writing partners or do you like send your stuff to anyone while yes. you're in progress oh, not while I'm in progress okay not while I'm in progress. Mm-hmm. I used to, but I don't really now. But I do have, I mean, I have friends who are also writers and doing nano, and we just sort of support each other. Mm-hmm. But we don't really share stuff in progress. Okay, because I know that there's a lot of uh, a lot of authors out there who um, they have like writing groups where they'll like chapter at a time. They're like, hey, here's. What's, can you look at this? Can you critique this? Yeah, no, I don't do that. Okay, almost like, not even like beta, like like alpha readers almost. Yeah, that sounds more like alpha readers. No, yeah. I have beta readers, but not alpha readers. Okay. Um, and then I, I mean, I have done sort of virtual sprints with people too, mm-hmm. where we say for the next 15 minutes Yeah. at the same time. Lee Bardugo does that sometimes. We, like she'll do it on Instagram stories. She'll be like, hey. I'll check back in 15 minutes. Yeah, so that happens on doing. Twitter, too. People just like spontaneous writing sprints if you're available. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I hope this helped. I know this is a little bit different than what we would normally do, but it's nano, and that's, you know, it's a fun time to talk about writing instead of just reading. So um, if you're doing nano, let us know on Twitter, Instagram, at ProBookNerds, or just shoot us an email if you need some help. Um, Big Library Reader is going on right now still, so if you want to read uh, I'm Not Dying With You Tonight, that is the one that's available. It's at biglibrary.com or just go to your library's website or Libby. It'll be the book front and center most likely um, if your library is participating and like 20,000 of them are. Schools too. Schools as well. Yes. I know we have teachers that listen in and stuff. Um, anything else? I don't think so. I don't think so either. All right. Well, I hope this was interesting for you guys. I hope you like the recommendations. Good luck with Nano and I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Professional Book Nerds podcast. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Adam Sokol and Jill Grunewald and presented by Rakuten Overdrive. For more information, visit professionalbooknerds.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.